Thank you for listening to this podcast from the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ in Haleyville, Alabama. We hope that you will subscribe and will share our podcast with others. Now, we take you to the pulpit of the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. If you're over the age of 55 tonight, raise your hand. Okay. If you're over the age of 55 tonight, I want to describe something to you. You grew up and for the most part raised your kids. Those of you who are closer to 55, raised your kids in what we call a world of cultural Christianity. Cultural Christianity, where, for starters, if uh, your, your daughter or son had a friend, whether that friend's family went to church or not, you pretty well knew that they lived their life, at least, by some type of moral code that was very similar to a Christian standard of living. Um, it was just kind of a moral acceptance of the way to live. Parents... Uh, for the most part, their biggest concern was being a Christian themselves and also raising other little Christians as they raise their children. When you think about the church environment, and I use the word church environment as an umbrella phrase for just a moment, one of the things that was very important in the church world to your generation was doctrine. And what I mean by that is Doctrine very much defined individual groups and, and as we may say, denominations. You know, the way this group right here did things was defined a certain way and, and there was pride found in that and then the way the group across the road uh, did things was uh, their doctrine and they were defined by that and they found uh, a sense of pride in, in what they believed. And there was a... from from one church building to the next and one church sign to the next, there were different doctrines that defined them and they were very um, very well known. You, you knew what those people believed, whether you believed they were right or wrong, you knew what you know you knew what it meant for the Methodist Church to say they believe in this and the Baptist Church they believe in this and the Church of Christ believe in this. Doctrine was an important thing that defined who people were. That was a time in our, our lives and in our society that was very much culturally Christian. Now, the rest of you that didn't raise your hand, which puts you in the 55 and under club, have grown up for the, in a large part in a completely different environment within our country. We are living in a what you could call a post-Christian society where you can't just assume that the neighbor across the street and their kids live by a certain set of moral standards that are loosely at least based on Christianity. They're not parents are not necessarily raised or are busy raising little Christians. Uh, as, as Colin said, my phone's all our need, all I need, our, our technology for most part is raising a lot of children today. And as you, as you study the church culture, if you, as you study the Christianity culture, the differences that defined groups for so long have slowly not become as important to those groups. 
or to individuals, rather. What you see in today's culture is people don't come and visit your church because they think you have the right doctrine as they did 30 years ago. It's a different society that we live in. And what I have noticed in many churches and and have tried to work with and around and through is that what we tend to do as a church is we tend to take a cultural Christianity mindset to solve non-cultural Christianity problems. In other words, we're trying to take a round hole and stick it through a what? No, a round peg and stick it through a what? Square hole. Is it going to work? Not necessarily. I heard someone say on a uh, clip that I was watching one time that we are perfectly equipped as churches to reach a community that existed 30 years ago. And I thought there's a lot of truth to that because our society has changed. Do you agree with that? Our society has changed. And the way, but the way we engage our society in many ways as a church has not. And so what's the byproduct of that? We see churches shrinking instead of growing. We see churches being less effective as they were 30 years ago. And so with that in mind, I want us to spend some time looking at some thoughts of Paul and talk about the idea tonight of of what is our purpose? How do we address a different society than maybe we grew up in? How do we address a post-Christian society as a church without compromising, don't get me wrong here, without compromising the truth, but yet engaging in a way that maybe we've never thought about or maybe we've never done before. Our job as Christians in Haleville is is not to have a three-point argument for every doctrinal issue. I truly believe that. Our job is to look into our community and look for people who are lost and make every effort to bring them into a loving, Christ-centered community that can and will save them. Our job as Christians is not to win arguments but to win souls. You agree with that? It is not to win arguments, but rather to win souls. So I believe that our church has two things that we need to, that we need to focus on, okay? Two things that will put us in a trajectory to deal with the things that our culture um, throws at us. And they come from very, very, very biblical concepts. The first is this. We must be a loving family. We must be... A loving family. As Jesus is preparing to go to the cross, he's sitting in a room with his best friends. Twelve guys that are his best friend. These guys had literally spent nearly every night together and day for a three-year period. You know what? You get close to people when you spend that much time with them, don't you? They were his best friends. And then there's a core group of them that kind of had transcended, I think, that best friend until they were family. And they're sitting around a table and and he's telling them, hey, look, one of you is going to betray me tonight. One of you is going to deny me tonight. 
It's going to be a bad knot for some of them. They're all going to just kind of disband and turn their back on him. But he said, I want you to remember something. I'm going to give you a new command. What was the new command he gave his disciples around that table that night? Love as what? As I have loved you. And I don't think that command really sunk in until after everything had happened. I don't think that command with Peter really sunk in until after he had denied Jesus. I don't think that command really sank in with all the other apostles until after they had all kind of scattered during that moment of the crucifixion. Love as I have loved. Despite you turning your back on me, love like I've loved you. We have to be a loving family. People will come to church for lots of reasons. People will come to church for lots of reasons. They stay because of love. They stay because of love. He's not here tonight, but Tyler, Terry, I don't think Tyler's here tonight. Tyler went with us yesterday. We baptized Tyler, what, three weeks ago, I guess. Um, and he, he's been with us just about every Sunday and Wednesday night since. He went and ate barbecue with us yesterday. Where's David? He's he, David out back, David Pickard. He's probably out there listening to me. He, he, uh, he, he loves listening to Tyler talk because Tyler's on fire for God right now. I mean, in a way that none of the rest of us are, if I'm just honest with you. I mean, he's, he told us at the table yesterday, everybody that I run into, I'm telling them about God and how he has saved me. He said, everybody, whether they want to hear it or not. Anybody else doing that in here? I'm not. I'm not. I'm not talking to the person at Walmart, you know, about my salvation. I'm thinking, why is it taking you so long to check me out? You know, I've only got three things. Um, why do I have to check myself out? I didn't come to train for a part-time job, you know. I'm not, I'm not that on fire like he is. And he's talking about his faith and stuff yesterday at the table. And he says this. He says, I was so nervous to walk in that building. He said, because I didn't know how people would treat me. And you know what? For the most part, I've seen, I've seen everybody love him. And he said, I knew I picked the right church when you just accepted me for who I was. That's powerful, y'all. If that doesn't send chills up your spine, nothing will. That's what we have to be about, that regardless of who walks through that door, we have to be loving. People will come for a lot of reasons. They're not going to stay if you don't love them. That's the truth, and that's what we have to be about. And then the next thing we have to be about is being a missional community. Our, our challenge from Christ is to baptize and make disciples. We're not just here to take care of ourselves. It's important to love those that are in the family. Don't get me wrong. That, that's an important thing. Love your neighbor as yourself. Love is an important thing. But we can't just be about loving the people that are here. That, that's too much like a social club. Okay, if we come to church with the idea of that's my church and I go to my class and I sit in my pew and I listen to what I want to listen to and I want them to preach just the challenging enough stuff that I really don't have to change, but I feel like I've been to church on Sunday, that's not church, that's narcissism, okay? And that's not what we're about. This is not about me, I, what I want. Okay, now don't get me wrong. We get a whole lot as part of the package. And I'm grateful for that. And we're all blessed by that. But that's not the core of it. He tells us that our job is to go out and find those, to find those who are lost, baptize them, and make disciples. So how do we find the balance of this, though? How do we find the balance of being a loving church and being a missional church? 
Well, there's some things here in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 that we're going to look at. And let's start in verse 1. And let's just read a little bit, and then we'll make some comments about some things. You know, brothers and sisters, that our visit to you was not without result. We had previously suffered and been treated outrageously in Philippi, as you know. But with the help of our God, who dared, uh, we dared to tell you his gospel in the face of strong opposition. For the appeal we make does not spring from error or impure motives, nor are we trying to trick you. On the contrary, we speak as those approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. We're not trying to please people, but God who tests our hearts. We know we never, you know, we never use flattery, nor did we put on a mask to cover up greed. God is our witness. We were not looking for praise from people, not from you or anyone else. Even though as apostles of Christ, we could have asserted our authority. Instead, we were like young children among you. Now, now follow this next part. Just as nursing mothers care for children, so we cared for you because we love you so much. We were diligent to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. Surely you remember, brothers and sisters, our toil and hardship. We worked day and night in order not to be a burden to anyone while we preached the gospel of God to you. You are witnesses, and so is God, of how holy, righteous, and blameless we were among you who believed. You know that we dealt with each of you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging us or urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. And then he's going to go on and talk about some other things. But how do we build this missional community and this loving family? This is what I get out of this verse. And I'm going to explain to you why as we go on. I get that our job is to make disciples. Is to make disciples. A successful church has to have a few things in place. We, we, we're not going to talk about all these things, but I want to mention them. As a church, we have to have a vision. We have to have a mission. Our mission is to go and what? Make disciples we have to have motivation our motivation is to love the way we to love because god has loved us we have to have a message and we have to have a strategy now it's important that we don't make the mistake of switching our motivation and our mission and i've heard this before our mission is to make disciples you with me our mission is to make disciples our motivation is love and a lot of times churches get that backwards when i was in kingston we dealt with this a little bit that a lot of people would say it is just our job to love people like christ that's our mission to love people like christ no your mission is to save souls now do you have to love them to do that of course but if all we have to do is, is show the love of Christ, then we can stand at a distance and do that. I'm going to stand over here and I'm not going to get to know John and I'm not going to get involved with John. But every now and then I'm going to throw a little love his way. And I've done what I'm supposed to. Oh, we've got to, we're just, our job is to just show the love of Jesus. I think that's a cop out. That's someone who doesn't really want to work and be a missionary for Christ. Our job is to save souls. It's motivated by love, but our job is defined by Jesus is to make disciples. Now, what is a disciple? We'll go to Matthew chapter 18. Matthew chapter 18. And he defines it for us. No, I'm sorry. Matthew chapter 4, starting in verse 18. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee, he saw two brothers, Simon 
called Peter and his brother Andrew. They were casting nets into the lake, for they were fishermen. Come, follow me. That's the first thing he says. Now, a lot of times people think the disciple is someone who follows someone else. That's not all that it is. Look at the next phrase. Jesus said, and I will send you out to fish for people. Or some of your Bibles say, make you fishermen of men. And once they left their nets and they followed him. Being a disciple in simple terms is someone who follows Jesus and brings others with them. They follow Jesus and they bring others with them. It's very important to follow Jesus. Yes, but it can't stop there. You have to bring or make the effort to bring others with you. So what I want to do for a few minutes, and I think we get this idea of discipleship mixed up sometimes. I want us to talk for a few moments about what discipleship is not. And there's some things that I'm going to say in here that I want you to listen to very carefully and not misunderstand what I'm going to say, okay? Because if you don't listen carefully and pay attention, you're going to go, well, did you hear what the preacher said? And usually when you start a sentence with, "Do you know? did you hear what the preacher said? That ends with, you think I've said something wrong. And usually it means you're telling somebody else and you're not talking to me about it, which isn't right either, right? So listen carefully as we go through some of this stuff. This one's not hard. Discipleship is not church membership. Discipleship is not church membership. This is a term that has become a very real part of our church vocabulary, hasn't it? Church membership. Where are you a member? How many of you have ever said that before? Where are you a member? You ever asked anybody that? Anybody ever ask you that? A lot of times you go, well, I'm a member at the Ninth Avenue Church of Christ. Well, that means you think you're the only one's going to heaven, right? You know, church membership a lot of times comes along with an idea of what your doctrine is and all this other stuff. Did you know that the word place membership is nowhere in the Bible? That phrase. Placing membership is nowhere in Scripture. And I've wondered, I've wondered if maybe we have replaced a biblical term of discipleship with an unbiblical term of church membership for the simple reason that church membership is easier. Because you see, with membership comes great benefits, right? Um, where are my keys? That's the story of my life. Where are my keys? How many of you have some of these little thingies on your, on your keychain? Any of you? At one time, about 15, 20 years ago, everywhere you went, you got a membership to their little club. And I saw people had more of these things than they did keys on their key rings. Now, this is one of my favorite. This is the Frosty membership at Wendy's. One free Junior Frosty per transaction per key tag. Every time I go to Wendy's, I go, I'm a member. And you know what they give me? A free Frosty. And it was free to sign up for. Um, See, membership comes with benefits and perks, right? I'm going to be a church member, and these are the benefits and perks that I get that go along with that church membership passage as opposed to discipleship that comes with what am I going to give and so we've replaced discipleship with church membership because church membership demands a lot less of us but discipleship is not 
merely church membership. This is the one I want you to listen to be really, listen really careful, okay? Listen really careful. Discipleship is not about getting doctrine right. Now, if I stopped right there, I'd be in trouble, right? Discipleship is not about getting doctrine right. Now, don't misunderstand that statement. I'm not saying that doctrine is not important and that truth is not important. But discipleship is not just about being right. It's not just about being right. Let me me tell you it this way. This is is what I'm talking about. First, James chapter 1 and verse 22 says this. Do not merely listen to the word and so deceive yourself. Don't just listen to it and think you're good. Do what it, you know the end of it, says. Don't just listen, do what it says. Okay, I have got a nine-year-old daughter. Nine-year-old daughter who's going on 19. And imagine this scenario for a moment. Parents of kids, you can imagine this moment. Hey, Collins, I need you to go clean your room. I need you to go clean your room. Parents are looking at kids now. I need you to go clean your room. And what if she comes back to me later that afternoon and goes, Hey, Dad, I'm going to talk to you about something. You told me to clean my room. What I did is I had some friends over, and we talked about what it meant to clean our room. And we looked at the grammar of the statement in the English language and broke down the sentence structure of what it means to clean our room. And we think that we have a great understanding of the phrase, what it means to clean our room. What did she not do? Clean her room. She heard the words and so deceived herself. She did not do what it said. It bothers me at times. That we spend so much time in comfortable rooms with comfortable pews, great lighting, wonderful air conditioning, heating unit, great sound systems, leather bound, perfect Bibles, talking about what it means to be a Christian, trying to understand all the right doctrine. How much different would this community look at us? If instead of sitting in a comfortable room for four hours a week, we sat in a comfortable room for two hours a week, and the other two hours we went out into the community and did what the Bible said. And we just didn't sit and talk about it. See, because we've got this idea that as long as we can figure out what the right things are in the Word of God, whether we're doing all of them or not, we've got the doctrine figured out, so that means we're doing it right. No, Just don't be listeners and deceive yourself. Do what it says. Discipleship is about understanding the Word of God and then going and doing what the Word of God tells you to do. If we're not doing that, we're not true disciples. I have heard so many of you, and you all believe this. You may not realize you believe it. But I've heard so many of you talk about how wonderful, and I missed it this year, how wonderful we are the sermon day is. Everyone I've talked to loves it. Why? Because you're not being just listeners. You're being doers. And you enjoy that. Discipleship is about being more of a doer than just sitting around and talking about what it means to be a Christian. Discipleship, we're just gonna, I'm just going to read these to you very quickly. 
It's not about being involved in a program. It's not about being a good person. It's not just about being on social media and trying to promote a good cause. Discipleship is about doing. Not just saying, not just reading, not just being a member. It is about doing. So that's enough of the what it's not. Back to the idea of trying to figure out how do we build both a loving family and a missional community. If it's about being a disciple, how do we make those disciples and have those things grounded and rooted in love? Well, look at what Paul says back in this passage in 1 Thessalonians. He says, starting in verse 7, he said, Just as a nursing mother cares for her children, so we cared for you because we loved you so much. We were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, not only the words, but our life as well. And then if you scroll on down, he says, for you know, in verse 11, for you know that we dealt with you as a father deals with his own children, encouraging, comforting, and urging you to live lives worthy of God who calls you into his kingdom and glory. So here's what I want you to think about with me for a minute. If you commit to a life of discipleship, basically you're making the commitment to parenting other Christians. You're making the commitment to parent other Christians. And we see this in the life of Paul, don't we? Paul calls Timothy his son in the faith. You read his letters and at the end of all of his letters, he can't wait to show up and be with these people and spend time with them. Every time he, just about that he ends a letter, he ends it with, I'm looking forward to trying to come and be with you so that I can show you how much I love you. So how do we create this environment? I think one thing we can find is from Titus chapter 2. Titus chapter 2. And we've just got through studying Titus. So this should be familiar to you. Chapter 2, verses 3 through 5. Older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may, now listen to this word, encourage, say that word with me, encourage the younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands, so that the word of God will not be dishonored, encouraged. You know, that word encourage is, is, is funny to me because a lot of people have a different, a lot of different views of how to encourage people. Some people believe in the encouragement structure of what I call baseball dad. Baseball dad. How many of you know baseball dad? How many of you had a baseball dad? Um, some of my worst car rides home were with my dad from the ball field. He didn't care what good things I did in the ball game. What was he going to focus on? That one mistake that I made. That one mistake that I made. I had one game, one of the best games I played as a kid. Okay, I threw two guys out at home plate from center field. I hit an in-the-park home run. I had a game-winning double. And my dad wanted to talk about me getting thrown out still in second base. Okay? I remember that night. That was my moment of glory on the baseball field at 15 years old. And in my mind, if I stepped out on that field today, I could do the same thing. You know, anybody else feel that way in their mind? And then you step out there and what happens? You pull something, you can't move the next morning. You know, baseball dad mode, yelling from the stands, embarrassing you. Some people think encouragement comes from boss mode. 
Come into my office and let me tell you what you're doing wrong. I'm going to bring you in on my turf where I'm the authority and I'm in charge and you have to sit and listen to me. And then Paul says there's loving parent mode where you sit down on the side of their bed and you talk about their day and you encourage what needs to be encouraged. You correct what needs to be corrected and you love through all of it. You see, in John chapter 21, that's the way Jesus did it. Peter had turned his back on God. He had turned his back to Jesus. He's within eyesight of Jesus, the, the, the man he loves so much. And people came up to go, hey, do you, don't you know that guy? And what does he say every time? No, I have no clue who that guy is. Jesus didn't yell at him. Jesus didn't guilt him into forgiveness. Jesus pulled him aside in a private conversation and loved him to repentance. That's how we practice discipleship in a loving way. Creating an environment within our church of encouragement should be the first step at creating a loving church. That's the type of discipleship we should be practicing. I want you to look at the end of this chapter, chapter 2, and just listen to these amazing words. Listen to these amazing words. For what is our hope? our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord when He comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. There's a song that we sing that I love, but I think it has some false theology in it. One of them is mansion robe and a crown. You know mansion robe and crown? Lord, I want a brand new mansion robe and a crown in glory. Okay. What is, what is the focus on? The what? The mansion. What's the other? Mansion over the hilltop. I'm satisfied with just a cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. What's the rest of it? If I don't sing it, I don't, I don't remember it. Um, but in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one. That's what? Silver line. Boy, those songs are powerful songs to us, aren't they? But they're focused on materialistic inheritance from Jesus and from God. And that that's what, man, that, that's what it's, it's all about the material. Paul says it's about the spiritual. He says, when I stand before God, and when you stand before God, what should make you happy is not that mansion robe and a crown. It's standing around those disciples, those people that you've invested time in, that you've brought along, that you've encouraged. And that part of the reason they're there is because of you. I think there's going to be a lot of sad people on Judgment Day, not because they're going to hell, but because they realize they did very little to disciple other people. And I don't want this church to be full of people like that. I want this church to be full of people that on the day of judgment, they look around and they can say exactly what Paul says here, that our hope and joy and the crown are the people that are standing around us. Let's go to God in prayer. God, I thank you for tonight and I thank you for the chance to just dive into your word and just to, to talk 
and, and to study tonight, God, and, and to hopefully encourage and challenge with the Word of God. And I pray that we're open to challenging and different things, God, and that we'll search Your Word for truth, that we will let that define us. But God, don't let it overwhelm us. Let us always be overwhelmed by, by love, which I believe always will lead us to truth. God, I thank You for just our time together today and the love that has been shown in this room by so many people, the comfort that has been offered to so many people. I thank You for the salvation that is offered and has been received by so many in this room. But God, to those that have not received it, help them to hear the words of Your Son to simply believe in Him and be baptized and have their sins washed away so that they can walk in newness of life with You. Forgive us when we fail You, Lord. Thank You for the loving encouragement You give us every day. It's in Your Son's name we pray. Amen. There is a God. There is a God. He is a If this program has been beneficial to you, please consider subscribing on Apple Podcasts or your favorite podcast provider. Also, we'd love for you to leave us a five-star review, which will greatly assist us in getting the message of God's love and salvation to others. We'd love even more for you to join us in person. We are located at 2309 9th Avenue in Haleyville, Alabama. Our Sunday worship services are at 1030 a.m., and 6 o'clock p.m., with Bible classes on Sunday mornings at 9.30 and Wednesday evenings at 6.30. You can also check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Be sure to listen again, and until then, remember, we are a Church of Christ caring for our community.